Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Speak. Hope you're doing well. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. That is Tim Moore of the Tim Moore Experience. We will talk about that in just a moment. Raheel Jaswal is joining us as well. Lots to break down today. We're going to start with the NBA. We're going to split this one for the Spotify listeners into two episodes. We'll start with the NBA. The trade deadline just happened. One of the craziest in league history. The Nets break things up. The Lakers make some big moves. The Knicks bring in Josh Hart. Lots to talk about. We'll break it down. Also talk about LeBron James setting the scoring record. And then at the end, go birds, fly, eagles, fly. The Eagles playing in the Super Bowl this Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. We will preview Super Bowl 57. But I was planning to start with the Nets, and then I got home two nights ago, and I see on Twitter a tweet from NJCU tagging the ESPN assignment desk. And then I listen to the voice, and guess who it is? Swing around, jump shot, the fact that you have that saved concerns me. I got it right. It's near famous. Now. You have to save it. I, that was not saved. I just pulled it up off of Twitter. I had it ready. I, I was expecting a lot worse feedback than what it's gotten, to be honest with you. Um, I hated it initially. I was actually texting my mom uh, in between because I'm like, I have to go home. I have to get a COVID test because I was not feeling good throughout like the start of the broadcast. Obviously, you can tell by my voice. You know how I talk regularly. Granted, I have a deep, raspy voice, but I, I genuinely don't typically sound like Mickey Mouse. Um, you know, but um, goodness, I, I, I'll put it like this. the That game ending probably the best ending to a game I've seen since uh, a different game that actually I believe still sits uh, top 10 all time of the ESPN uh, the ESPN highlights. Uh, there was a game against New Rochelle High School in Mount Vernon. God, I don't I don't remember what year, but it was over 10 years ago where there was a buzzer beater for New Rochelle in the closing seconds at, at um in in White Plains. And it was just a beauty at County Center, hucked it full court, banked it in, and the whole crowd went nuts. You couldn't see a single person sitting in that arena. It was crazy. Um, and that, that to me, was considered like the craziest ending, but I think this topped it. And to be honest with you, the only thing I'm truly disappointed about is, you know, everyone's talking about me or everyone's talking about the shot. Nobody's talking about the kid that made the shot. And that's what I think. This is the only thing that maybe upsets me a little bit because, and I, I actually, I think you, well, you got to see the post Eddie. I don't know if he'll got to see it, but I pointed out the biggest thing, which I really think what led to that call to be truly honest was that in a minute and a half, you know, Jason battle comes up the floor looking for help from the right wing has to cut across the middle. Nobody's around him. He floats up this jump shot, banks it in, through a double team to keep the game alive at the time to put the team down one. If he doesn't make that shot, we're not talking about the scenario down the road that sets NJCU up with a chance to even make that play. So at the end of the day, I just want to put it like this. Listen, I'm the one calling the game. You know, I, I can only do so much, but the credit has to go to the player at some point. And that's, and that's, I'm not down to people for saying, Oh, it's crazy. But 
publicity, media, and so on, everyone's covering everyone else, except the kid that made the shot. People should be talking to Jason Battle. He made a once-in-a-lifetime shot and a once-in-a-lifetime play, and you'll never do what he did again twice. Yeah. Also, I don't understand why Rowan didn't use a timeout when they still had two left okay. after the first shot no, was made. No, I, I agree with that. Now, oh, get, well, can I debunk the uh, the Twitter critics of the time? Well, I, I've seen uh, that. There, I do, definitely, I there was definitely the enough time when you got tipped. the shot off. I do agree the ball was tipped. Um, there was two NCAA official referees, though, that if you look through the comment section deeply, of course, you have to do your own fair investigation. Um broke down their own analysis of it. Um, one of them actually used a legitimate timer on a screen. So the good news is on one of theirs, from the tip and so on, I think he ended it just slightly early, but it still would have been under the 2.8 uh, in terms of getting the shot off. I think he could have waited a little bit longer to press it. But one of them had 2.2 seconds. So what that means generally is from the point of the tip, everything came down. He got the shot off within a 0.6 range. So in reality, um, the game should have ended right there. Another thing folks actually don't know is at the end of that whole clip, um, we actually added 0.4 seconds back onto the clock. So the game actually didn't technically end right there. Uh, Rowan had a chance to inbound, which is the other thing, too, which we'll talk about in a moment, because you think, uh, well, I actually, I don't even know the rules, to be honest with you, about advancing the basketball, because I was just very critical before the three made by NJCU about them using their last timeout. If you had a full timeout, why didn't you try to advance the basketball? But maybe I don't fully understand that rule in college basketball, or if that even exists. Uh, but needless to say, they got the inbound, couldn't even get a shot off, they couldn't even catch the inbound. Um, and needless to say, that's how we ended up winning. Um, but the other thing, the traveling violation. Um, if you go back and watch that very clearly, first off, there are no travels in college basketball in terms of inbounds. Um, at least at a D3 level, there are only line violations. Now, he can't willingly move, but the referee didn't put his hand up until after he let himself establish his spot to make the inbound for the corner three. So, that aspect is debunked. The the getting the shot off in time off the deflection is debunked. And everyone else that wants to call, you know, uh, certain fouls or whatever, I, I just don't know what else to say. It was a once-in-a-lifetime scenario that will never happen again. And just like how the instance I mentioned uh, for New Rochelle, the only other closest comparison in terms of point comeback comparison of closing seconds I can think of. And I honestly don't remember which team it was against, but uh, I think it was Oklahoma State in the NCAA tournament. I think in around a 64 had like a, an 11 point comeback in the last like 30 seconds of the game. Yes. Uh, that's, that's about as close to that as you may ever get. And while that didn't have a crazy buzzer beater ending, the fact of the matter is this one did and will probably sit, unfortunately, well, for for my aspect, of course, it always sit number one. Uh, we'll see how it sits on Sports Center's number one for a while down the road. Um, but I don't know if that could ever be taught, to be quite honest with you, in the sport of basketball, because that's just that the transition is what makes the whole play. 
Yeah, and what a shot by Jason Battle that was, the recovery, and he just kind of threw it up. I know some people were saying, why'd you call it a floater? It looked like a floater. It was the most awkward shot from 40 feet away, too. Okay, so also I'll explain that. The first thought, it wasn't that it looked like a floater. It was just the first thing that came to mind of he floated it up. That was the first thing that came to mind. I didn't mean to call the shot a floater, but when you only have a quarter of a second to react to the shot, what else are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I could say I could say the name, whatever, but I'm just going in the moment. I wasn't expecting us to get the basketball. I thought he was actually about to fall out of bounds before he set his foot uh his feet and shot it. And the other thing too, uh, you know, looking at that, of course you could tell Jason Battle is a relatively short kid on camera, but I have to emphasize too, this kid, I oh god, I don't remember he's five four, five seven, something like that, but all game long. He was guarding a kid playing point guard for Rowan that was six foot four. So think about that. The kid's undersized. He's playing good basketball, really good defender, and he can score the basketball a bunch too. But in that moment, it's the fact too, you think about the size disadvantage just for him to even have enough space to float that ball up in the air, hence floater, even though it's not a floater. To bank it in is huge. So, uh, yeah, I understand the term of floater is wrong. We'll get that one all set and clear. But, listen, it's a moment. It will live forever. Yeah, it will. And kudos to Jason Battle, of course, and NJCU on the shot. But kudos to you on the call. And it's it's gone everywhere. Got on SportsCenter. Scott Van Pelt. Barstool even shared it out. Uh, so, one other question I have, because I was reading the chat when you were talking about it. You said someone took your chair at the end of the game? Yes. Yes. <laughs> What? I don't I don't know what happened. So I, I think I circled it out and I sent in the OCM chat of I saw a white like hoodie. And the problem is we'll never get it on the broadcast because we can't go back and take the, the score box. The score yeah. bo- mm-hmm. score but somebody came running down from the left side immediately as we got up so like my chair kind of like pushed backwards like already because i'm like oh my god but somebody i just feel because it was like still under the back of my leg boom yanks it for me somebody knocks down the chair next to me that my producer was sitting in christy and i'm just sitting here like what just happened like like we're going around like i'm looking and i turn to look back there's Christie's chair on the floor. Thankfully, we had a spare chair, so that's what I ended up taking. Um, but it was like, where did my chair just go? Literally, the chair just disappeared. Somebody literally came behind me and took the chair. <laughs> and I, I don't, I, I don't. I'm assuming they left. They left with it. I mean, I, hey. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But it's like in that entire moment, everyone's so focused on rushing the court. Somebody took my chair. <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely though something interesting um, that happened in a whole transition, but I think it's worth it. it, it yeah, you get, you get on Sports Center and someone takes your chair. One on Sports yeah. Center. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So Tim had his big moment in the sun this past week. So did New Jersey. I never thought we'd be starting Sports Speak with New Jersey City University men's basketball, but here we are. Super Bowl week, NBA trade deadline. We're starting with this. <laughs> E3 basketball alone. Listen, uh, it's it, it's not obviously as publicized compared to D1. And to be honest with you, forget about the aspect of Sports Center. I just never thought it did there'd be even an opportunity of, you know, getting 
anything, you know, publicized to the media from a D3 aspect, just because, again, it's it's a different realm. But, you know, we had the right people there to set up, you know, and, and hard workers, even though times are a little bit understaffed, you know, at NJCU, you know, we have a lot of people that work hard, uh, you know, like look at people like Deja Espinosa, Christy Alejandro, who was my producer that day, who, I mean, they show up early to work and we have a lot of athletes behind the scenes. That's a big thing. D3 is maybe compared to D1 or D2s, where we have a lot of athletes that come back you know or, or not working their own games you know to come work the camera upstairs or or you know try to work stats and stuff down below so you know it's a whole process and for me this is my first year getting fully involved in it um you know an athletics communications uh assistant within jcu which um also i guess i could say maybe that's the other downfall um this isn't official but this is probably what i'm assuming uh that Unfortunately, because of this, I will probably never do live stats for basketball again, um, for NJCU at least, because of the fact now that I'm probably going to have to broadcast the games from this point out. Um, so maybe I'll only get the live stat baseball, but <laughs> it's it, it just, it's the only downfall. Because it's like, man, now I go back to broadcaster. It's not exactly what my job title was. Well, it's more airtime. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. but it's like my job title tells me I got to think something differently. You know, I still get to write the stories. I enjoy writing the stories and so on. But the point is, there's so much that goes behind the scenes. Um, and I, I'm just so thankful for everyone that was there, you know, and, and work their tails off just to even make uh, a broadcast possible, let alone a day-to-day operations for live stats, everything. Because, for example, if we didn't have live stats working, that scoreboard you saw in the ticker blow, that doesn't even work. So th- there's a whole process that went with it. And I'm just thankful everyone was able to do their job and uh, that we're able to get all this done. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I know what you – Deal with that like at Rutgers I do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff with the big 10 plus streaming and it is it's a group effort with all the technology that goes into it and, and even at work we were talking about you yesterday Tim so you're 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 living legacy here you are Timothy realized like I knew we brought in some people from Rutgers you know to come call you know wrestling matches and so on but I never really realized until yesterday like I never put the connection one plus one because what happened is um before the winter season ended up starting Alex ended up going uh my my boss technically of course uh, the athletics communications director Alex Falk um ended up doing a practice for basketball doing live standing and calling at Rutgers I don't know if it was during one of your guys like uh scrimmages before the season or one of your first games of the year but the point is he ended up going there uh to utilize that for practice um I didn't connect that one plus one with getting Rutgers students to come all games and do stuff. Um, but now it kind of makes sense. <laughs> so needless to say, I, I never really realized because for example, when you travel, it's still what, I mean, t- t- just from where you are, it's still what a half hour travel, right? I want to say. Yeah. For me, for me to get to the arena, it's about 15 stadium, the football stadium, it's 20, but any sort of traffic on a game day, that's going to double. So Rutgers- Jersey City. Oh, Rutgers to Jersey City. Yeah, that's that's half gotta hour. be at least a half hour. So it's like, so it's like I just never put one plus one because I wouldn't think 
that it would be the exact closest of locations to bring people in, but it, it has. And again, I'm thankful as well from everyone from Rutgers that has come by. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of you, <laughs> needless to say, that have come and uh, done a lot for this program. So I'm very thankful for that as well. So let's move on. We're going to take a big jump from D3 basketball to the NBA because the trade deadline came to a close yesterday. Yesterday, the deadline day wasn't crazy necessarily. It was three trades that took place before deadline day. And of course, we have to start with the Brooklyn Nets and the end of their superstar era that uh, led to just one playoff series victory would have been two if Kevin Durant's foot was just one shoe size smaller. Uh, As a Nets fan, my reaction to this. Now, it's just shocking to me because two weeks ago, I went to a Nets Sixers game in Philly and Kyrie Irving was playing and things seemed to be going okay. A month ago, the Nets won 18 out of 20 games. Then Kevin Durant got hurt, but they were still playing well in Durant's absence, which was not the case the last two years when he missed significant time. And I thought, all right, at the very least, they're going to try this this season. If things fall apart in the playoffs again, maybe they'll break it up in the summer. But Kyrie Irving requests this trade on Friday And by Wednesday night at one in the morning, they're both gone. So it's kind of crazy. Now, from what Sham Sharania reported, basically when Kevin Durant requested his trade back in June, uh, the Nets made the agreement, you stay, but if things go south at all, we will get you out of here and we will get you to a destination that you'd like. And obviously Phoenix was a destination he wanted to go to. But I think Kevin Durant at first would have been okay to stay through the season. And then Kyrie Irving, for some reason, decides to request a trade just completely suddenly. And then I'm not blaming it completely on the players because Joe Sy has been very petty, I feel like, in a couple of aspects of this. The Nets did not take the best package back for Kyrie Irving. I think they got a good package. Dinwiddie back in Brooklyn can be interesting, and Dorian Finney-Smith is a decent player, and they got some picks. The Lakers would have given them more. They would have given them more options. They could have potentially bought out Russell Westbrook, which would have given them some more space if they were acquired him back in the trade. Plus, they would have gotten Lonnie Walker, who's had a great year, potentially Austin Reeves, and the same amount of picks you would have gotten from Dallas. And based on current trends, the fact that the Lakers have an older roster, Dallas has Luka in his prime, there's a better chance that those picks from the Lakers would end up being better than Dallas picks down the line. So the fact that, Joe Sy, it appears, made a trade and sent Kyrie Irving away and just wanted to get him anywhere but the Lakers so he wouldn't be necessarily happy. That doesn't sit right with me. And also the fact Kevin Durant gets this massive tribute video on Twitter. TJ Warren gets a big shout out. Kyrie Irving has not gotten a single thank you from Brooklyn. And I'm not defending Kyrie Irving at all because he's what tore this apart, but it's a two-way street and you can send blame both ways. In the end, looking back at this Nets reign, of course, this is the most disappointing big three of all time. I don't like these people trying to compare it to 2013 when they brought in Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce because those guys were essentially washed. Paul Pierce played like two more good years after that. Garnett was 17 years into the league, and they already had an old team with Darren Williams and uh, Joe Johnson in their mid-30s. You had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden all in their primes on the roster at the same time. And the best you could do is make the second round of the playoffs. That is inexcusable. And at this point, I am aware this is going to be a rough stretch for Brooklyn because Kyrie Irving is going to be saying stuff about the Nets to the media. Kevin Durant may as well. 
And at right now, the Nets are going to become an outpost that nobody wants to go to because they're going to think it's completely dysfunctional. And then the Nets are stuck with the albatross contract of Ben Simmons, a bunch of wing players. For some reason, they still didn't try to get a backup center at the trade deadline. And Claxton's hurt right now. So they're playing Dayron Sharp and they have no other bigs on the entire roster. They'd have to call someone up from the G League to be the backup center at this point. So there are a lot of flaws and the weird thing is the Nets are still in fourth place. They're in a better position than they were last year. So they are still firmly in playoff positioning, but it doesn't sit well with me. The one thing I will say, at least now, there's no more expectations with the Nets. And last night is a perfect example. We are kind of back to how it was before Kyrie and KD came. It's like 2019 again. Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris leading the Nets to a win. They both had 20-plus points, and the Nets float under the radar and beat a decent Chicago Bulls team. So we're kind of back to that. Cam Thomas, I'm hoping he can emerge into something. I hope he finally gets playing time consistently because, for some reason, neither Nash nor Jacques Vaughn have given it to him over the last two years. But looking at this era as a whole, you can't say anything other than a complete disappointment and frustration for the Nets. It was the one of the best constructed rosters two years ago, and they were only able to get to the second round. And it's frustrating because you look back and if KD's foot was behind the line, I think they would have won that championship just with the way the other teams were constructed. They would have beaten the Hawks in a series and they would have definitely gone toe to toe with the Phoenix Suns in the finals. So it's disappointing. I'm just glad, like I said on the show last year, when Harden left, if they're going to leave anyway, at least you got something back. But the fact that Joe Sy deliberately didn't want to send Kyrie Irving to the Lakers just so he could not send Kyrie to his preferred destination, I got a problem with that. So, Raheel, I know you are not a Nets fan. So just from an outsider view, how do you view these moves? First for the Nets, then we'll look in the grand scheme for Phoenix and Dallas. Okay. I'm very happy it all came apart. Because I'm a Knicks fan. So I, this was this was... Peter, this is like Christmas. This is Christmas. Seeing it all come apart. But in reality, it's the biggest disappointment in, in, t- in team sports in history. You think about how many things had to go wrong for us to get here. It starts the first year in Brooklyn, all right? KD comes. Yeah, he's re- rehabbing from the Achilles. Kyrie misses most of the season. He only plays 20 games because of the shoulder injury. Then all the COVID happens. And they actually played well in the bubble. Um, let's be honest, Eddie, we remember they, they, the Raptors at the time, I think were the two seed and they took them to a decent series. It was a pretty good, um, it was a pretty good series with, uh, with Brooklyn. You're thinking, okay, you get Kyrie, Katie back in the lineup here. The Nets are going places. Then they decide to go in, trade their young pieces, Levert, Allen, you get James Harden. Okay, fine. Now they only play 16 games together, but in the 16 games they played together, they looked unbelievable. They were 13 and three. But it all came apart after Kyrie Irving decided not to get the vaccine. That was the beginning of the end because then James Harden quit on the team. They traded him. They got bounced. They played horrible against Boston. They got bounced. KD requested a trade in the offseason. And then here we are now. And let's be completely honest, even if KD wrote out the rest of the season, they probably would have traded him in the offseason anyway. It was going to happen. He did not want to be there once Kyrie got out. He didn't probably he didn't want to be a Brooklyn net in the first place. Remember, KD wanted to come to New York, but Kyrie convinced him, let's go to Brooklyn. They got two max slots there. We can go play there. So KD was look just looking at any way to get out of this situation. Tried to get out in the offseason, didn't work. Once they traded Kyrie, he said, get me out. And so in whole, you just look at this and think, how in the world 
did this team only win one playoff series? And I understand, Eddie, if the foot was on the line, yes, yes. But the story of this big three is just what ifs. What if they played consistently together? What if Kyrie got the vaccine? What if that happens? There was just so many different things that went wrong for this Brooklyn Nets team, and it completely unfolded. They looked absolutely horrible. Then firing Kenny Atkinson, getting Steve Nash, then giving Steve Steve Nash the boot one year later. It was just terrible. It was absolutely horrible for the Brooklyn Nets. And now they're stuck. They're really, yes, they have some good young pieces, Cam Thompson. Yeah, they flipped Dre Crowder to to Milwaukee for, for five second round picks. So you've got stuff, but they are worse off than they were before Brooklyn. Before the Stars came there, they had nice pieces. And they played together, and they got an eight seed in the playoffs. And now they're sort of just stuck. Yeah, they're in the fourth seed. They're probably going to dip. They might actually probably still make the playoffs. Maybe they'll finish sixth or they'll get in the play-ins. But it's going to be a rough stretch for Brooklyn. And you just look, almost everything had to go wrong for this to happen. And everything did go wrong. Yeah, and I agree on that 100%. FCC Tim's Tim's guy Tim had a little bit of work to do, and we couldn't get him out of the Zoom, but so it's okay. But uh, in the meantime, I understand how frustrating this is. I do have some optimism with the Nets. I think Cam Thomas is a piece. I think Claxton is going to be good. I think he's playing out of position. I think he should be a power forward and not a center. But there's promise. The problem is, and this is what really tore it apart, trading for James Harden. I said this on my show at Rutgers two years ago, the roster that they had when you combine Kyrie and KD before the Harden trade, you had Dinwiddie, you had Joe Harris, Lavert, Jared Allen, Claxton. That, that team was great. That was the best combination of pieces that they had because you had the two stars and you still had all the young pieces with the exception of D'Angelo Russell from the team that went on a decent playoff run before they brought in the stars. So the move for James Harden, was a big, big mistake. And again, this is where I put the blame on the players because Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they will say stuff about the front office. Well, who pressured the front office into trying to bring in a third star? Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. As much as they want to pin the blame on Sean Marks and as much as Sean Marks has made some poor decisions, Sean Marks has tried to do the best with what he has. And he's... You know, he's tried his best, but the involvement of the front office now when the players are leaving, like you don't have to get Kevin Durant to his preferred destination. He's leaving the team. You don't have to cater to the superstar who's not going to be in your locker room the next day. And at the same time, you need to be making moves that make your team better, not to help your ego, just sending Kyrie Irving to what he thought was an outpost because he wants to go to the Lakers. Kyrie's probably going to be on the Lakers next year just so you can feel like, hey, we didn't let him go to his best place and instead take a lesser package. Just makes no sense to me. But Raheel, let's look at the Western Conference landscape now. Uh, the Suns are stacked. You've got Kevin Durant there with Booker and Chris Paul and Aiton. Dallas... I still got questions about Dallas. They still have a lot of holes. I don't know how Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic is going to work. And frankly, I think this is just going to be a couple of month deal with Kyrie, with the Mavs, like when Manny Machado got traded to the Dodgers. Uh, outside of that, Warriors, I still think they can put something together in the playoffs. Steph's got to stay healthy, though. Memphis and Memphis and Denver have been there enough that I feel like they're going to start to win big playoff games, but they didn't do all that much at the deadline. Denver actually subtracted Bones Highland and sent him to the Clippers. Clippers to me are flawed. 
Lakers are going to get into at least the play-in now, but I think that's about all they're going to do. So with these moves that we saw, Lakers shedding Russell Westbrook, who knows where he's going to go at this point. How do you see the Western Conference landscape sort of changing after the deadline? Well, it should be Phoenix. It sh- if Phoenix does not win the West, it would be very, very shocking. And it might, the only re, I mean, to me, the only way Phoenix doesn't win the West is if, and it, this is a big if, I mean, it, or this is very likely if they don't stay healthy. I mean, you, t- you talk about the reason they're like four, they're four games over 500 now is Booker's been in and out of the lineup with a hamstring injury. He got nicked in the playoffs as well last year. So there's a very high chance that, that happens again, and they might go into a playoff series, not 100%. But even still with Kevin Durant, I know Chris Paul is on his last his last legs and is not what he used to be, but he can still be that organizer, that floor general, what the Nets didn't have. If you look, if you look at what Katie and Kyrie had in the postseason, it was a bunch of you go, I go. It was so disorganized, so individualized play. Chris Paul brings that ball movement and that floor general mentality, and Kevin Durant can play without the basketball in his hands. We all know that. He can get 20, 25 points, 30 points on 15 shots. So that's so it still should be Phoenix. I would even still without Bones Highland, I'd throw in Denver. I think if Jamal Murray continues to improve his play, gets back to not maybe bubble Jamal Murray, but you know, to normal Jamal Murray with the way Jokic is playing at that MVP level, then you can have a series there. Memphis, once they get Steven Adams back, yes, we all like to make fun of Memphis because you know they like to talk and they've been really bad in the I last couple weeks, but yes. But if if Steven Adams, if once one Steven Adams comes back, gives them their that help in rebounding gives them back their physicality. I think they'll also be there, but Phoenix really should be the winners of the Western conference. And then we can talk about maybe if they get to the NBA finals versus the Celtics who have probably been, or maybe in the bucks, but I'd say right now, Boston, because they've been the best team really in basketball since the first day of the season. Now, quick side note, correcting something as of 10 minutes ago, the Nets actually posted their thank you to Kyrie Irving. It's not a video. It's just a picture of Kyrie that says, thank you, Kyrie. And then two minutes later, they posted a picture of everybody who got traded, including Kessler Edwards, Kyrie, Kevin Durant again, and just had a thank you. So no video for Kyrie. Durant got like a two-minute video. Irving just gets a little nice little graphic made. So uh, that's going to be the end on the Kyrie and KD talk. Uh, Let's look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. Now, there are a lot of stars. Now you have Durant and Irving leaving the East. There's rumors that James Harden in the offseason wants to go back to Houston. The East just doesn't have that many stars right now. And I think it's an open book, per se, if something happens to Boston. And it kind of did. Jalen Brown just got hurt the other night. He's going to miss some time. And the Celtics are probably the most complete team. And again, just like how the 49ers in football doesn't matter who their quarterback is, they win. doesn't matter who the head coach is of the Celtics. They win games. Milwaukee, of course, we know what they can do. The Bucks are fantastic with uh, Giannis. But uh, Raheel, your Knicks picked up Josh Hart, and they're having a pretty good season. And with the way the East is kind of open, and you got Cleveland in the mix and Philly, how do you see the East shaking up? Boston didn't really do much. They brought in Mike Muscala. Milwaukee gets Jay Crowder, who they've been obsessed with for some reason for like six months. Uh, But to me right now, it's still Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Knicks and Cavs maybe are the two wild cards. Nets can still make the playoffs, but... How do you see it? Well, I think I think overall, I think I think um if Bo- now if Boston is injured, I think the next team after that is Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee plays the best defense of those three teams. They've been there, they've done it before with championship aspirations. And remember, last year they took Boston all the way to seven games and they didn't even have Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton is coming back. He's looking really good. The Bucks have now won nine straight. 
So you have to like their chances if if everyone is healthy and they're playing their solid defense. Now, as far as the Knicks go, Eddie, I don't really see them doing much. I'm not a huge believer in this in this Knicks team. I mean, yes, they're playing great basketball. Julius Randle's an all-star. Jalen Brunson probably got snubbed with an all-star appearance. But to me, Josh Hart, yeah, he's versatile, offers defense. Doesn't really do much for me because Tibbs likes to play all the starters 46 minutes. That's all he does. He doesn't use his bench. He never used Cam Reddish. So trading away Cam Reddish, I was, I mean, I understand it, but I was absolutely angry and pissed off that the Knicks never actually used him. So Cleveland, to me, would be the most likely wildcard team just because they have more star power. You've got Donovan Mitchell. You've got Darius Garland. You've got Jared Allen, who's not a star, but Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, those two guys are playing really well. Donovan Mitchell was looking like an MVP candidate before he had got nicked up a little bit. He's getting back into the flow of things. But Darius Garland has really picked things up. So I think Cleveland right now is probably the bit is if there was a team that would shake up the the East, it would be Cleveland, maybe even Miami, if Miami can find their stroke. But the way Kyle Lowry looks and then not making any deals at the deadline and Jimmy Butler being in and out of the lineup, I, I don't I don't know. Maybe if they can pull it together with Spolstra, but I'd say Cleveland would be the most likely team to shake things up in the East. Yeah, I don't really know what's up with that. Miami probably should have made a deal and they didn't. It was they, shocking that they didn't. Yeah, and they've been shopping Kyle Lowry and clearly nobody was really interested in him. Last question on the NBA front. So the Lakers make this move. They add D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I th- I think we can agree this makes them a better team. They yes. made some good moves. It's not going to push them over the edge. If anything, they get through the play-in and they'll lose in five to like a powerhouse in the West. But uh, this helped them a lot. Um, looking at Russell Westbrook now, where do you think he goes? Because I assume he's not going to play a game with Utah. He had a decent year when he moved to the sixth man role. Do you think there's a team? A lot of people have been talking about Paul George wanting to bring him into the Clippers. Do you think he's going to find a role on an NBA roster before the end of this season? I think so. I don't know where that is or when that is, but I do think he's going to find a role just because, like you said, like the Lakers had a thousand problems. And yes, he was one of them. But he was not the problem this year. He was one of the problems, but certainly nowhere near as bad as he was last year. Now, yes, Westbrook still has his flaws. He turns the basketball over and is not very efficient, doesn't shoot the three well, and, you know, his athleticism is waning. But he wasn't terrible this year when switching him to the sixth man. So a team is probably going to pick him up. The question is where? I don't know. People have been talking Clippers. I don't think so. I really don't. Maybe, you know, he'll bring he'll be have an extra chip on his shoulder because the Lakers pretty much dumped him you know, and, and it was a whole disaster. So maybe that's an option, but he's going to get a, a play somewhere just because of the way he's, you know, he's a former league MVP and how well he has played throughout his NBA career. I just don't know where, or if it will be with a contending team. Okay. See, does he want to go back to Oklahoma city for the last like one or two years of his career? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think OKC would have any interest in bringing him back, but Hey, how about they got the money to afford it? They, and you know, last, I will say last point, last time the thunder, brought in a veteran piece around a bunch of young players. They made the playoffs. That's when they had Chris Chris Paul in the one year. And they actually had a pretty good team that season and lost to the Rockets in the first round in the bubble. Uh, But we'll finish up with that. We're halfway through. For the Spotify listeners, tune in for part two. On YouTube, we'll continue here. Tim Moore will be back. We'll talk about LeBron breaking the scoring record and preview Super Bowl 57.